risen. He's a risen. Hallelujah. He is risen indeed. All the above. Yes. Um, you know, the, it's so funny because I remember the first time that I went into church after I gave my life to Christ. I didn't grow up in the church and I came in and there was a guy that I later came to know um, as uh, Pete and just a really awesome guy. And he was greeting at the door and he was handing out the programs and he, was, he, he said, he is risen. I'm like, thank you very much. Thank you. Very. Which is very appropriate too, because we're thanking the Lord. He is risen. This is good. My name is Tasha. I'm the lead pastor here at Storehouse Church. We're so glad that you're celebrating Easter with us today, that you're celebrating the risen King with us today. I hope that you have some fun plans for later, maybe an Easter egg hunt, maybe the Easter bunnies visiting, some scalloped potatoes, little honey-baked ham later, because nothing says happy King of the Jews than a little bit of pork. How did that happen? I don't really know, but... We know that we know that all this celebration isn't really about the food. It's not about the Easter egg hunt. It's about something entirely different. I am a, a spoilers kind of person. I like to skip to the end. So I just wanted to read you the spoiler alert here for what we are celebrating today. And it's found at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. It says this, then he put his right hand on me and said, this is Jesus, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. That is what we are celebrating today. We are celebrating today that death is not the end. Death is not the end. We are celebrating that there is newness, that there is hope, that there is wholeness found in the person of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating that we are not our past mistakes. We are not our past regret. We are not our past sin, that we are given a new life, a new identity in the risen Jesus Christ. We are celebrating today that even the most desperate despairing of circumstances, there is hope. And there is hope found in Jesus. We are celebrating that even where there is darkness, there is light. We're celebrating that even at the end of our lives, that when our life is done, that there is life eternal found in Jesus. But we're also celebrating that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full right now. And that is about finding our identity, finding our meaning, finding our purpose wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And he gives us new life right here and right now to make a difference for his kingdom, to be called his son and daughter. That is what we are celebrating today. When you look at a list of the top five religions in the world, Christianity is always, you know, one or two in that list, normally number one, but uh, kind of varying now. But, but really, Christianity isn't a religion primarily, foundationally. I can understand why it's put in that list, certainly. But foundationally, it's not a religion. A religion can be defined as a system of worship. There's a great quote that says, man's way to reach God is religion. God's way to reach man is Jesus. Religion is all about the things we have to do to reach the holy. But God says that is not the case with Christ. I come to you. I come to you and I make a way. I make a way. So we're celebrating today that the foundation of what we're doing here is all based in relationship. It's relationship with the risen king. It's relationship with Jesus Christ revealed as our Messiah. I think we can all agree 
that life isn't as it should be. If we look on the world stage, it's not as it should be, right? If we're looking in globally in the war in Ukraine or, or the Taliban in Afghanistan, we look even more locally. We can look at the news from last week, and there's a variety of things we can pick up on. The shooter in Brooklyn, there's so many others. The world is not as it should be. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we are introspective enough we can recognize that we're not as we should be. That even though that there's hypocrisy and abuse of power and envy and self-ambition and pride and things that drive this world that are not based in love, we can see it in ourselves as well, if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to see, though, Because what we like to do as a people is we like to compare ourselves to others, right? And so we're looking at our news feed and we're scrolling through and we're like, wow, man, at least I'm not that bad. They're, They're pretty bad. I'm not that bad. I'm like a saint compared to what I'm reading here. But when we look to the holiness of God, when we look to the unblemished perfection of God, When we look at God in his purity of thought, of motivation, of word, of action, in every bit of who he is, he is pure. He is unadulterated, unfiltered, undiluted love. When we compare ourselves to that, we see that there's something wrong, there's something off. It's like that favorite white shirt that you have. And I hope I'm not the only one, but you have this favorite white shirt and you, you wear the white shirt and you're feeling like you're looking good, you know, you're looking crisp, you wear it out, you're feeling really good about it. You like it so much that you're like, I should probably buy another white shirt just to be a backup for when this white shirt gets dirty. And then you take the white shirt out of the bag and you compare it to the white shirt you've been wearing, feeling pretty darn good about And you realize that that white shirt, the old white shirt, your favorite tee, is actually like a dingy yellow. And if you're unsure, you're not quite sure, then you look in the armpits and you're like, okay, definitely dingy yellow. Like, man, I I thought I was looking good. But it's all what we're comparing ourselves to. When we look to Jesus Christ, when we see God revealed through Jesus Christ, he is the embodiment of love, unfiltered unfettered, nothing blemishing the love that Jesus shows us in all areas of his life. Now, I understand that today in a room this size, that there's a variety of of thoughts, there's a variety of kind of worldviews, of of backgrounds in church, that there's a variety of, of perspectives about God. I get that. What we're celebrating today, what we're celebrating is that The fact is that Jesus Christ, he calls us his beloved and all that, the misguided desires, the envy, the pride that finds itself in our our very being, that that is not the truth of who we are, that the truth of who we are is defined by our creator and he calls us his beloved. Now, some of you, again, have differing opinions around that truth, but my prayer today is that as we open the gospels, as you see in the gospel accounts and how there's a variety of personalities that are going to be depicted here. We're going to travel to three different characters, a variety of personalities, of backgrounds, of, of, of perspectives. 
as we travel through the Gospels and see how they interacted with the resurrected Christ, and they realized that their story is inextricably linked with the resurrection, resurrection story, that their story is inextricably linked with the gospel. My prayer is that as you are revealed these in the, in the stories today, that you'll see that your own story, your personal life, your story today is inextricably linked with the resurrection story, with the gospel story. So we're going to travel to the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible today, and we're going to read about three different characters there. The first one, as we open to Luke chapter 22, is a guy by the name of Peter. Now, you may have heard of Peter. Peter was native to Galilee. He grew up making a living fishing with his father and his brother Andrew. Andrew became a disciple of Jesus when, they called, when he called them out. And, and so he traveled with Jesus and he witnessed Jesus's, he witnessed his power to heal people and to do these incredible miracles. Peter was a passionate guy really passionate guy. He was the kind of guy that like did what everyone else was thinking, but he just went for it. He just went for it. He was brash. He was bold. He was like the epitome of go big or go home. I mean, that was Peter. Peter was the very first one to declare that Jesus was the Messiah, that he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet, that he was the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. And it was all well and good, but then the cheers from the crowd, they turned into persecution. The cheers from the crowd, they turned into jeers because not only was Jesus performing miracles, not only was Jesus healing the sick and doing these incredible things, but he was also claiming to be God. And people got angry. People got really angry. And so those cheers, they turned to persecution from the crowd, and it got hard to follow Jesus. It got difficult. Jesus was arrested, and Peter was the one with his sword. He took off his sword, and he cut off the ear of the soldier who was arresting Jesus. Jesus comes, and he heals the soldier. This isn't going to be won by swords and violence, Peter. This is going to be won in a different way. And then we pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. It says this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And we went outside and wept bitterly. I love this picture here, this picture of Peter in the courtyard around the fire. And you can almost feel him recoiling, his fear that he would be associated with Jesus. And if this was the end of the story, if this was the last time that Peter saw Jesus, it would be an an incredibly sad story of regret. 
an incredibly sad story of regret. I can only imagine the emotions that he's feeling as he, he's seeing Jesus and he, and he recognizes that he has denied him, denied the one who has called him to something far greater than he ever imagined. All that shame and regret. But this is not the last time he sees Jesus. You see, at the end of the Gospel of John, we have this beautiful depiction of Jesus as he as he's resurrected now, and he's preparing a fire on the beach. The disciples, they've gone out, and they're, they're fishing offshore, and they've caught a bunch of fish. They're coming back, and Jesus has built this fire, and, and he's beckoning them in to come and cook the fish, and he sees Peter. And I, and I think about the fact that in the courtyard, he was there around a fire, denying Jesus. And then here on the beach, he's around a fire again with Jesus. And there's something about smells that can have us remember things in incredible ways. Like if I were to smell boxwoods, you know, that like leafy green plant, I am immediately at my grandparents' house. Like I'm playing in my grandparents' yard. I'm having a good time. If I, if I smell curdled milk, it it's, takes me back to early days, newborn, Eden, Elliot, and Naomi, my little ones. And I am immediately sleep deprived. I don't know what happens. I've slept great the night before. Immediately I'm exhausted. There's something about smells that they bring us back to where we were. And I imagine Peter walking to that beach, smelling the smoke from the fire and reliving the times that he had denied his Jesus. And all of that regret, all of that shame, all of that discomfort, all of, all of just wanting to hide away is just revisiting him in that moment. And Jesus does something interesting. He comes to Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And it's not that Jesus is hard of hearing. He's not hard of hearing. Is that he is putting balm to an open wound of that threefold denial. There is a, there's a balm that's being administered to that open wound of that threefold denial, and he's inviting him, inviting him to, to give him his life yet again. Give him his life. Follow me, he says. After asking him those three questions, he says this, follow me. I've reinstated you. I have, I have given you a name and you are going to do great things. Follow me. I have a plan for your life, Peter. Follow me. In a room this size, I imagine that there's some of us who, who have regret and shame in our past. I certainly do. And the temptation is from the evil one is to live in that regret and the shame. But what Jesus shows us so beautifully in this story is that you are not your past mistakes. You are not your past regret. That Jesus calls you today and he says, do you love me? Well, follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. This is the resurrection power of Jesus. This is the resurrection power of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection. Lots of evidence. One of those pieces of evidence is that all four of the Gospels, the very first to proclaim that Jesus has risen, is women. You see, in all of the accounts, they have women as the very first people to say that Jesus has risen. There was about 150 years after Jesus was resurrected, there was this scaling, scathing expose written by a guy named Celsus. 
And Celsus, he was this pagan philosopher, and he, he wrote this expose called The True Doctrine. And he's like, you can't believe this Christian stuff. I mean, look who they have as their witnesses to his resurrection. And what the quote is here, they are a bunch of hysterical females deluded by sorcery. It can't be women. And what was seen as a hindrance to the Christian faith in the very beginning, the fact that all of the gospels show the very first people, the very first witnesses of his resurrection to be women, now can be seen actually as evidence of the historical accuracy. Because if they were going for something to like pull the wool over people's eyes, they certainly would have picked better witnesses to the resurrection than a bunch of women that in that day and age were seen as less than. And one of those women, one of the women, the second people we're gonna, person we're going to discuss today is Mary of Magdalene. Now, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, it says this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord, she said, and she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. It's so out of the realm of her understanding that this could happen, that she doesn't even recognize Jesus. It's not until he says her name. He says Mary. So who was Mary? Mary, we know from Luke's gospel, chapter 8, we know that she was someone who had seven demons expelled from her. And we don't know, we might not know what that would look like here, what it would look like to have seven demons be cast out of you, but I can imagine that it's incredibly dark. Other theologians believe that she's the woman who was caught in adultery, thrown before Jesus. Still others believe that she might be the, the former prostitute who, with the alabaster jar, anoints Jesus. In any case, we know certainly she had seven demons cast from her. And we know for a fact that her life had been very dark. Very dark. She has the most demonstrative, demonstrative response to the risen king. She calls out, Rabboni, and she throws him, herself at him. She's hanging on to him, obviously, because he says, you got to let go. I got to go do things. I got to ascend to the Father. I got to send the Holy Spirit. There's things that have to happen, so you got to let go. She's clinging on to him. You know, I realize in this that when we've experienced darkness in our life, when we've lived in lies, when we've tasted what lies are like, what, what darkness really is like. And then we experience the goodness and the truth and the love and the light that comes from Jesus. It is that much sweeter. 
This demonstrative response to the risen king is because she knows what it's like to live in darkness. And she's been face-to-face the one who has given her new life. And it comes in the response to the name of Mary. Mary, in that name, she knows that he knows who she is, that he calls her by her real name. She call, he calls her by her true identity. And she realizes that this is indeed the Messiah. I'd imagine in a room, again, this size, that there are many of you, many of us who have walked through darkness. I bet there are stories in this room, horrific stories of abuse and neglect, that there's stories of ugly words being spoken over you, of trauma that has happened to you. But the truth is that it's revealed in this story is that he knows your name. He knows your name and he says, you are not the darkness that has happened to you. You are who I say you are. And I've given you new life. And what often happens in the gospel, what always happens in the gospel, is that he has a way of redeeming, of restoring what has happened to us for his glory, for the goodness of his kingdom. That the darkness that has happened becomes light when he touches it. Because where Jesus is, there is light and only light. He's calling you by your name today and saying, you are not the darkness that has happened to you. You are not the darkness that has happened to you. That resurrection power, that resurrection power, it has the power to say you are not your past mistakes, you are not your past regrets, that there is new life found in Jesus. That resurrection power reveals that in Peter's story. The resurrection power reveals through Mary's story that you are not the darkness, darkness that has happened to you, that the light pierces even the darkest of places. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are God's handiwork. You are fashioned, created, loved by God himself, the creator God. And you are in Christ Jesus. When you say, yes, Jesus, you are clothed in his righteousness, clothed in his beauty, clothed in his love. You are in Christ Jesus, created with a purpose to do good things in this world, to bring his kingdom come. That is the reality of your identity. The last story I want to touch on this morning is found in Luke chapter 24, and it's the story of Cleopas. Cleopas, it only appears one time in the scriptures that we know, that I know of and uh, that we know of, and uh, it's on the road to Emmaus. So in Luke chapter 24, we see Cleopas, who's talking with his buddy, and they're traveling from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the capital where the Passover has happened, and, and Jesus himself had gone there for the festivals, and and so they're, they're traveling back to maybe presumably their hometown on this seven-mile stretch between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And he's talking with his buddy, and they're discussing all the things that have happened over these last few days. Like, oh my goodness, this, this Jesus guy, he was crucified. And, and, and then we heard that he, he rose from the dead. And then the women, they said that, that the tomb had been, that he wasn't there anymore. And they, the, the, the stone had been removed. What, what, what is going on? And, and as they're speaking, we, we pick this up in Luke chapter 24. It says this, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? What things, he asked. I love Jesus. He's so great. What things? Tell me about it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Cleopas and his buddy are so focused on what's happening in front of them, so entrenched in their conversation that they totally miss what's happening, this supernatural encounter with Jesus. But what I love about this story is that they continue the conversation. They continue it along the road and, and, and they have such a good conversation that Cleopas and his friends, they invite, his friend, they invite him into their home for a meal. And it says this a few verses later, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not, were not our hearts burning? Within us, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. There's two things that I want to point out about this story, two things, and one is this. That Jesus could have shown up any way that he liked. He has the power to show up any way he liked. He could have gone on the road to Emmaus and gone before Cleopas and his friend and said, Hey, it's me. I'm here. He doesn't do that. He walks and he talks with them. And then when it's revealed to them, it's in the ordinary, commonplace, mundane, everyday thing of breaking bread of eating a meal together. I remember a pivotal moment in my walk with Christ in my spiritual journey, and it was, I was in a car, and I was in the back seat, and I was looking at the sun coming through the leaves of the trees. And it was that dappled type of sunlight. And I was feeling it on my face, and we were driving along. And in that moment, it became so incredibly clear to me that there had to be something bigger. There had to be something bigger. There's far too much beauty. There's far too much goodness. There had to be something bigger. It was in the mundane, ordinary, everyday thing that God was whispering, calling me to himself. The other thing I love about this story is that Jesus allows them to wrestle with the scriptures. I mean, he starts to teach from the scriptures and reveal that it has to be him. The Messiah has to die and be risen again. I mean, he's revealing to them in the scriptures, but he's allowing them to to, to wrestle with it, to to get in there, to ask him questions, to be in conversation. It's an incredible invitation, an incredible uh, witness to us because the Christian faith is for thinking people. It's for people who are willing to ask questions 
They're willing to wrestle with something. Because if the resurrection is true, if this is indeed true, that he has been resurrected, that there is new life found in Jesus Christ, that it has infinite importance for our life, for my life, for your life, for this world, infinite importance. And at the very least, he invites us to wrestle with it, to talk about it, to ask our questions, to be in conversation. Maybe for you, the invitation today is just to open the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to read through. To wrestle with it, to ask questions about who is this Jesus. Maybe, maybe what you need to do or the next step, a good next step would be to come to Alpha. We do Alpha here semi-regularly. It's a, it's a group that talks about the basics of the Christian faith. And whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time or you're, you're figuring things out, you're spiritually curious, it is a fantastic place to wrestle, to ask the questions, to wrestle with scripture, to wonder who this Jesus is and to do it in a safe place. This story shows us that we are able to have conversation, that, that sometimes that conversation, that, that seeking, the searching for the truth, that actually yields an incredibly deep faith. I've always found it so interesting that we have infinite Christ-like illustrations in movies and literature. That in so many places there's this Christ figure who dies for the sake of the goodness of humanity, for the sake of, the, for the sake of something bigger. You know, I think about the, the uh, Avengers Endgame movie. You guys remember the Avengers Endgame movie? Got Tony Stark, he steals the Infinity Stones from Thanos. And with one snap of his finger, he undoes all the evil that Thanos has caused. But this act of restoring life causes him to lose his own life. The resurrection power is something quite different than we see than just in this movie. Because what happens here is Tony Stark dies, but our Jesus comes back to life. Our Jesus comes back to life. The resurrection power is so incredibly uh, evident in all of the stories that we talked about today. Sometimes we can mix up the gentleness of Jesus. In all of these stories, there's gentleness of Jesus, right? There's, there's the invitation from Jesus to, to follow him. There's the, the story of, of Peter and Mary and Cleopas. In all of them, we see the gentleness. I hope you've seen that. But what's undergirding, what is, what is the foundation of that gentleness, what is, what is empowering that gentleness is an incredible amount of authority. Incredible authority to conquer death. That resurrection power has power to be raised from the dead. It's with the authority that Jesus has. It says he gives you a new name. He gives you new life. It's with the authority that Jesus and Jesus only has through resurrection power that he says that your life has more meaning and purpose than you could ever imagine. You have new life found in me. It is with resurrection power that Jesus says all of your sin, all of your sin, it's cast into the deepest ocean. That is not the truest thing about you. It's with resurrection power that he declares himself to be the Alpha and Omega. Revelation, again, says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the God who is and who was 
and who will come. I am the God who is and who was and who will come. Resurrection power declared from Jesus. I am the mighty one. We have responses that we can choose from this morning. We have responses that that Jesus invites us to this morning in response to the resurrection power. Maybe the response for you today is, is to wrestle. And that is a, that's a wonderful place to be, to say, hey, if this, if, this, if this is true, then this has incredible implications for my life. So I'm going to actually take time and I'm going to sit with this and I'm going to wrestle and see if, this is, if, if I find this to be true, if I see the truth in the text. And I'd invite you to go to the Gospels. I'd invite you to come to Alpha. Wrestle with it. That's, this is a place for that. Jesus and the disciples, they would often invite people into three different postures of response to the good news. The first one is this, repent. It's from this Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind, change your thinking. Repent means taking a 180. It's recognizing that that things aren't working when I go this way. That doing life on my own terms, doing life my own way, it doesn't work. It doesn't provide the fullness of life. It doesn't provide contentment or peace. But if I do that 180 and I move towards God and I declare him to be king of my life, I declare him to be Lord of my life, I receive his forgiveness. I receive his forgiveness and say, thank you, God, for casting that sin into the deepest ocean. And I identify myself with him and him alone. That is what repentance is. So for some of us today, that's our response. That's the posture. That's what he's inviting you to. Stop trying to do things your own way and and turn. Change your mind. Wrap your entire life around the creed that Jesus is Lord. He will give you life and life to the full. The second one is this, that Jesus and his disciples would invite people to is to believe. Jesus was a teacher, but he was far more than a good teacher. Far more than a good teacher. He was the embodiment of God who made you. The embodiment of God who made you. And we lean all of our life on that belief. We, when we say we believe, it's, it's leaning all of our life on that reality, that our life is, is on the foundation that Jesus declares who you are, that Jesus has risen and declares who you are. It's always wrapped up, these, these repentance and believe, it's wrapped up with the invitation to baptism. We're having a baptism here on May 22nd. And for some of you, that is what needs to happen next. The Lord is inviting you to baptism. Make it known, proclaim it, proclaim that you have repented and you have aligned yourself with the way of Jesus. I invite all of you guys to come back on that day because if you want to see a real celebration, Baptism Sunday is a celebration. It is awesome. So maybe today that invitation for you is to be baptized. And then the invitation that they would, that they would invite people to is to follow. Follow me. Come learn from me. Come live in the new. Come align your entire life with me. You know, Jesus is looking for apprentices, disciples, those who are going to take 
his kingdom seriously, those who are going to align their everyday life with the kingdom. He's not looking for a bunch of people who are checking the box that says Christian on a survey. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for people who are sold out and passionate to the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, that's the invitation to follow him with all of who you are. We have a response card in the program. On that response card, um, there is a box that you can check that says, I've committed my life to Christ. If you've committed your life to Christ today, I'm gonna welcome you into the family of God. We wanna follow up with you. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. He is so good. Life with him is so good. So we wanna walk with you on that journey. If today you've made a decision to, to posture yourself, to follow after him, to, to, to repent, to believe, to align your life with him, then I invite you to write that down. There's a place for prayer requests and we are a praying people. So if you have a prayer request, put that down there too. We wanna pray for your prayer request and we wanna know how God has spoken with you and rejoice with you and pray for you. You can uh, drop that offering or that you could drop the, that card, that response card in the offering box on your way out or with a guest services team member. I'd love to invite us to pray as we ponder his goodness. God, we, we thank you, Lord, that in your gospels, God, that you show us how gentle you are, but you do that from a place of authority. You do that from a place of resurrection power. You do that from a place of knowing exactly who you are, God. God, we thank you this morning that you have offered us new life. We thank you, Lord, that we can align ourselves even with Peter and say, you know what? Shame, regret, that is not the definition of who I am. I am defined by my king and my king alone. We can align ourselves with Mary and we can say, you know, all that darkness, that stuff that has happened, all the things in the past, those ugly words spoken, that, that abuse or the neglect, that doesn't define who I am. My king, he says who I am. And we can align ourselves with Cleopas and we can take that invitation to search your scriptures, to wrestle with the truth and to see you in the everyday in the ordinary. God, reveal yourself to us, Lord. We thank you that you offer us new life. And we pray this in the powerful name of the resurrected King, King Jesus. Amen.